We're glad you could join us for episode 82 of Fatalists. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. How you doing, man? Dave, it's all good all the time, man. All right. I think I heard that somewhere. <laughs> Maybe a couple times. All right. Now, you know what I was looking for? You know, you were saying, are you ready? And I'm like, yeah, just give me a second. I mentioned this to you the other day. This may or may not be our 100th show. Now, l- let me explain to you how I right, arrived at that, that number. because there's that one time since. where we kind of just touched, but we didn't really do anything, you know. And- well, for instance, the listeners might be saying, well, you just said episode 82, can, so how can it be your 100th show? Well, here's how I count. 82 episodes. We have 14 take five, so that puts us to 96. Now, it gets a little sketchy for the last four. And we had, I believe, four pilot preview episodes back in the first year of the podcast. But technically, they were part of an episode that I edited not out of, or I mean, I took it from, but I didn't like take it completely out of the original episode. So we're probably really only at 96. Okay. Yeah. Because when we, when we go back and to the back catalog for the greatest hits compilation, we're going to, this is actually become important. Right. We've published, I guess, 100 episodes, but four of them, that was, like you said, a reprise from an earlier episode. But anyway, uh, we'd love to hear from you via email at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com, the website fatalist.podbean.com, where you can leave a voicemail via the SpeakPipe tab, or you can just record your own audio clip and send us the MP3 as an attachment. Now, tonight, we're here to discuss Season 1, Episode 7 of James Cameron's cyberpunk series, Dark Angel, starring Jessica Alba and Michael Weatherly. But, but Wayne, but before we get to that, do we care that David Lynch is reprising his 1990-91 show, Twin Peaks? I mean, this is the age of the reboot, and this seems to be one of the, the latest and, to some people's way of thinking, greatest. Yeah, so I'm kind of of two minds on this one. Uh, Twin Peaks happened when I was in college, and as we mentioned before, I really wasn't, you know, watching TV then because I was like too busy having fun. Um, so I, I totally missed Twin Peaks, but obviously, by all accounts, it's very, very good. Um, so, and I, I've seen David Lynch's movies and everything. And I, I admire his work. So the answer is, I guess I kind of care. This might be the impetus that I need to actually go back. I, th- I actually think it's on Netflix even, so I have no excuse to not go back and catch up on the... Because there's only two seasons, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. So that's easy peasy, right? Go back. Yeah, and, and season one's only eight episodes. Uh, I guess the, the pilot was actually released as a TV movie, and I believe it's you know like just under two hours. Then they went out and recorded the next seven episodes for season one. Then I believe season two is like a full 22 episodes. But So you saw Blue Velvet, right? Yeah, David Lynch's yeah, yeah. movie. Good fun. And then uh, uh, did you ever see Eraserhead? I never saw Eraserhead. Maybe the strangest movie, the most disturbing movie I have ever really? seen. Well, did you see Mulholland yeah. Falls? You know, I did. Because okay. that one is trippy but, as all get out. Oh, I still don't know uh, no, no, no. exactly what's going on. I, I watched that movie. Like, not... I mean, it was it was a pretty good movie, but I just watched it probably about 10 times just to figure out what on earth is going on. And even after the 10th time, I was like, I don't know. 
Yeah, well, you know, and and I didn't watch Twin Peaks either, and you know, I mean, I saw a little bit of it here and there. I guess I got mildly interested when I found out that David Duchovny was in it, but you know, some research tell shows me that he was only in about six episodes anyway, so he's certainly not one of the main characters. But as I understand it, the reboot is going to pick up the story twenty five years later, so. I've seen buzz that Kyle McLaughlin, who was the main character, is going to return, although uh, he's currently uh, a main character, soon to be main character in S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah, I, I don't guess. know if well, he's going we'll to be how main character. Well, yeah, probably like one of those things, like the last four episodes, he'll be in a bunch, you know. But I guess rather a, rather than main character, an important, an important character. character. That, we'll that, just say that. that I, would, I could go with. Hey, dude, yeah. you know, I should say I do care just to see Gretchen Machen again. Yeah, good point. She, I, I, I liked her a lot. Now, I didn't even watch Twin Peaks, but I knew that Gretchen Machen, she's just got a, a cool name too. Yeah, so I, I think the answer to the question, do we care? Yeah, kind of. I, I think it'd certainly be interesting to see of all the shows that are getting a reboot. I, I think that might be an interesting to, uh, interesting one to look at. So uh, Sci-Fi News, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are teaming up to develop the new futuristic sci-fi thriller Incorporated for the Sci-Fi Network. Now, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Incorporated is described as a futuristic espionage thriller set in a world where corporations have seemingly unlimited power. The drama will be the story of one man's efforts to beat the system. So kind of like Continuum, it's just set entirely in the future and minus the time travel. Right, so Continuum, but maybe not quite as good. Yeah, but along with Affleck and Damon. Four. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> so along with Affleck and Damon, David and Alex Pastor of The Last Days are going to write the pilot script, while Ted Humphrey from The Good Wife is going to serve as showrunner and executive producer. Now, the project comes as the network is making a renewed push into straight-up sci-fi fare, and we've talked about this a lot, including the upcoming 12 Monkeys, Ascension, The Expanse, and Hunters, not to mention existing shows like Defiance, Helix, Dominion, Ascension, and Haven. And as for what the two big guys are up to now, we all know Ben Affleck is shooting Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and currently stars in the nation's number one movie, Gone Girl, while Damon is gearing up to star in Ridley Scott's new flick, The Martian. And then I do want to mention one thing about Ascension, which is on that list of sci-fi network sci-fi shows, is that the air dates for yeah, Ascension, which is a six... Well, it's changed. Now, uh, the air dates were previously in November, but it's now going to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, December 15th, 16th, and 17th. So the entire six hours is going to go in those three nights. So it should be interesting. I'm not sure whether I like it compressed like that, but obviously the DVR is our friend. Yeah, I better better go put that into Google Calendar and make sure I'm, I'm aware of this. Yeah, because uh, it really looks uh, pretty good to me. Well, the Twelve so, Monkeys. I'm uh, really kind of excited about that because I love that movie. And oh, uh, you know, I I I just dug out. Although I don't even know if I have a v, uh, VHS player that works, but I dug out my copy of Twelve Monkeys because it's been I, I haven't seen it since. Yeah, probably just after it came out on VHS right, tape. Right, but that's a great so, movie, and that's so. that's also that's a movie that at the end of it you're like ah oh, like. But what 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 happens, you know, because it's like, I mean, there is a kind of resolution at the end and we see, oh, we get it. But there's still so much more left unanswered and so much more like, well, about this world and what's going to happen. Like uh, that that's going to be that's going to be clutch. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think I realized how good a film it was at the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward yeah. to doing a rewatch. I, on well, that I know one, so. I totally did because, like, I mean, Terry Gilliam. I'm a big fan of Terry Gilliam stuff. It, you know, from My Python to Brazil, Baron Munchausen, Time Bandits. He's he's awesome. Yeah, so. the Fisher King. All right. Well, anyway, I forgot that one. Oh yeah! yeah. Wow, boy, talk yeah. about a power powerful. Yes, film. indeed. So, all right. Well, anyway, speaking of powerful. We are here tonight to talk about Dark Angel Episode 7, titled Prodigy. See, that transition wasn't which, quite so bad that time. I know, I, I know. <laughs> which aired on November 21st, 2000. The story was by Charles Egley and Rene Echeverria. Teleplay by Patrick Harbison, and it was directed by David Jackson, who did some work in Charmed and Smallville. So... I think we both agree this was really oh, a good yeah. episode. And, and and right now, man, they are on a roll. Yeah. Well, they did get a season two, so, you know. Yeah. Well, well you know, it, it's funny, though. There really kind of are, are just two stories in this episode. Obviously, the genetic engineering conference that Max attends. And then I don't know what the hell to make of the Jam Pony Riders. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe we should even just get that out of the way yeah let's talk about jam pony first of all i I, I mean we see you know original cindy who finally got to i quote kick it with her lickety boo (laughs) and and finds out that not only is she bisexual but that she's become celibate and a sketch says first of all aren't all women bisexual and max retorts you're an idiot and but but the whole thing it's like he's like well what's the point if you're going to be celibate and then of course original Cindy agrees and for the listeners that maybe forget she was the the blonde girl when sketch was trying to do those bike tricks to impress and oh, is you that, know, she gave is him that a, the same girl yeah yeah and you she sure? gave him a trick to, okay. yeah I'm assuming and we haven't seen her meet anybody else and she keeps referring to her that way there apparently is a vegetable shortage and right. <laughs> Sketch is eating an imaginary sandwich. Well, I mean, not an imaginary sandwich, but uh, he's eating a sandwich. It just doesn't have on it what he's claiming right. it has on it. So, and, you know, it, it's kind of, Max even brings up that whole idea of shortages. You know, when she mentions in the beginning of the episode about the toothpaste shortage, and she kind of laments about how, you know, certain things can be in, in good supply. And, and, you know, so as to why they can make, peppermint oil and baking soda but not toothpaste uh we don't know and and as to why they can't get fresh vegetables in seattle well i don't know it doesn't get a lot of sun there i would guess Uh, yeah no i guess well i just remember thinking at the beginning of this well actually throughout this whole episode like if you go by was it uh bradley told us about the the drinking game that goes along with this yeah man this episode would be a killer because there's oh. like they start off talking about all those things that are commonplace to us now, and then you know how many opportunities does uh, Lydecker have at at Max in this one, and you know like he just like to that that by itself would would uh, you know maybe put you in the hospital if you tried to play that game during this episode. Yeah, I did see in the background that gasoline is about eight dollars a gallon. I think so. Yeah. Now you know Cindy depressingly her failed relationship. Not- out of the realm of possibility, like the, you know, like no, I, like yeah. I know, probably uh, you know, fourteen years ago, that would be hopefully would probably be rather shocking, but now it's like, eh. <laughs> and that's sad. Yes, absolutely. Well, like I said, Cindy was lamenting her failed relationship, 
as she sketch and herbal are riding their bikes. And I don't know if they were actually working or if they were just out for a joy ride. That's not right, clear. Yeah, well, it kind of reminded me of like little kids riding their bikes, right? Cause they didn't, you know, like messengers are always like darting in and out of cars. And like, you know, when they're, when they're delivering the package, they're going f- super fast. And, and they just look like they're kind of like a bunch of kids, like, you know, that they just put uh, their baseball cards between the spokes and were out for a ride before mom called them in for dinner. Right. And, and, you know, now they had seen on the TV that the, you know, incident was taking place at the hotel. So they're riding over there and sketch, uh, suggests what maybe we can catch a shootout or something. But then the other was herbal. And, and, you know, we saw herbal last week with the whole thing about, uh, his girlfriend, you know, bringing in her ex-boyfriend and him trying to be cool with it until, you know, at the end when he kicked his ass into the street, but his whole philosophy that good is evil and evil can be forgiven. Well, he's just, he's, he's up, you know, as I said at the beginning, that it's all good all the time, right? Is And so no matter what, even if something bad happens, it's still all good, right? Yeah. It's a very optimistic attitude. Yeah, and, and, you know, but then I started thinking, you know, is this like fair is foul, foul is fair, but, you know, that's really not the logic he's using. And, of course, Sketch tells him, dude, you need to put down the spleef. <laughs> He says, and I ain't no stranger to stone right. logic. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, so I'm not sure what the whole point of that is. And then, you know, lastly, the three of them are outside the hotel watching what's going on. Max tells them, I just kept my head down and let the men's fight it out. And So, you know, we see them, but I'm not really sure what, what point it all plays, if any. Well, I like how it kind of came full circle at the end. And so at the end, when, despite going through this harrowing experience, Max saves the boy, and she's alive. She saves Logan. And so even though it was a bad thing, people died, these terrorists died, there was, you know, like, there's a lot of bad things going on. It turned out to be good so it did turn out to be kind of all good as all the pony expressors agree at the end of the episode so i I like how they tied it up like that but i think for the most part especially this episode in particular that they you know they're they're like comic relief right uh herbal and and, uh sketch in particular um are just you know they're funny and and they're goofy and you know it's I'm, i'm even starting to warm to sketch a little bit this well, he was better in yeah, this episode. The stoner logic sure. line really uh, brought me around to him a little bit. Yeah. Now, you know, we talked about what do her friends know about her, and, and clearly they don't know about her manticore past, but, you know, does Kendra see her in a new light? I mean, look, number one, she sees her holding her own at this scientific conference. I mean, she certainly got, you know, when they were back at their uh, apartment at the beginning, Max's knowledge of genetics is astounding and i don't think we certainly can just owe that to the fact that she was genetically engineered i mean it's almost as if she must have been doing studying over the past oh, 10 yeah, years absolutely yeah that, that definitely i chalk that up to yeah because i don't think they were teaching them that stuff in the uh at manticore right oh well, i wouldn't They're think so I mean, you know, like oh let me tell you how you were made and everything now right and, and certainly they were genetically engineered to be intelligent and, and it's just that like you said they weren't taught to use that intelligence in that way but she's certainly been doing it now kendra is we find out temping for a japanese doctor who's in town for this conference and when max finds out that his paper addresses gene sequencing the manipulation of rna 
nucleotides, Max is immediately interested. And we, you know, we find out that uh, this Dr. Tanaka took a crack baby that was mentally and physically challenged and turned him into a six-year-old genius. And, you know, I know you haven't seen Extant. I certainly wouldn't say Extant copied anything from Dark Angel, but, but certainly there were some, you know, things that were reminiscent of, I'll just say that, 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 uh, you know, were pretty interesting. When Max finds out that Tanaka did this by manipulating the genes after the kid was born, now she's really interested. And we see we, we saw a series of flashbacks that weren't that long. But when she finds that out, she flashes back to Manticore. And I guess the whole idea is that she and her brothers and sisters, their genes were manipulated, I guess, while they were still in the womb. Right. That's why she's so kind of like, yeah, interested in Tanaka because, oh, well, here's a guy who can maybe fix me now. Yeah. And, and, and certainly that's something that, you know, I don't want to say it's her, her biggest quest in life because I, I think she does want to find her mother, obviously, although we haven't heard about that in a couple of episodes. But, you know, certainly this has got her interest. Now, uh, she drops Kendra off at the hotel, mentions uh, scoring some towels and, Max sees the boy looking out the window. Now, you know, does she know that's the boy? I guess maybe she surmises it. But, you know, when you really think about it, it could be anybody's boy. But if you, like, become self-aware as a TV character, then you realize it must be the boy that's in this story. Right. And then especially when the man comes and makes him go inside. And then, of course, she flashes to how you know, basically her childhood was totally manipulated. And so even before she's met this boy, she knows she's got something in common with him. Yeah, definitely. And and right, the number of flashbacks that we have here um, just reinforce that, that, you know, well, pretty much any time we've seen that she has a chance to reflect on childhood, it brings her back to her own and that deep, like she's i think she's angry partly and mournful as well that she never had a childhood as we've said before you know like she's been raised to be a killer uh never had a chance to do the regular things and i think she sees in jude a kindred spirit someone who is being basically he is a lab rat and he's not allowed to be a kid you know he's forced to do all this crazy like stuff learn all these different languages play the piano and not just be a kid, not have a childhood. You know, and, and it's funny you said that because that's what the, you know, the leader of the 22nd of June, the terrorist group, you know, calls him as a lab rat. But it, but it really does look like there's a an emotional connection between Tanaka and Jude. I mean, Tanaka really does seem upset. And I don't think it's just because he's losing his science project. Right. I, well, I think, first of all, it's May 22nd, not June 22nd. Oh, May 22nd. You're, you're a month off, man. But I question whether, because Jude doesn't get really broken up by Tanaka's death, right? I mean, he doesn't see him die, but he does he? Well, he kind of worries what's going to happen to him. And, and now, granted, uh, you know, Max is quick to the rescue and quick to take him under her wing uh, to t- try to assuage any fears he has. But but it, I, I guess I thought that, that you know, there was some kind of connection there, more more than just as a lab rat. But, well, I, I'm um, sure it is. And I agree from Tanaka's point of view that he probably felt a connection to the child, but I don't know if that really worked the other way around. In fact, I'll just throw this out there now. I totally suspected Jude as being behind the whole thing right up to 
the very, you know, I even, even despite the end, I still think he was behind it a little bit. The kid? Yeah. Because wow. he's like this genius, right? Well, and true. so if you want to get free, because like the whole time I was like thinking, this whole thing is freaking insane. Like you're going to like kill people. You're going to take all these hostages in the middle of a place where you can't get out of for to, to free a kid. Like, yeah, true. Seriously? The, the plan was flawed yeah, from the beginning. So I thought, sure. why would they, why would a terrorist organization expose themselves like this for something so mental? Unless, like, the kid, this is, like, somehow he's behind it, you know, I, so the whole time I thought it, it was the kid and everything. And, and uh, I was yeah. also adding his lack of emotion after Tanaka's death, right? I thought this shit, well, okay, well, clearly the kid, this is what he wanted because he wants to get free. Um, you know, when they, when they grabbed Tanaka first and chucked him off, I was like, oh, man, the kid is totally behind it. But, uh, you know, the whole the theory fell flat on its face. Though I will still hold it in my back pocket for future episodes, should it turn out that the kid actually was behind this whole thing. Well, I don't think you can say it fell flat on its face. I mean, the kid may have gotten what he wanted, which is, like you said, just to, to be, be free, taken yeah. out and, and, and be free and put in a home with normal foster. I mean, who knows? So, yeah, bears watching for sure. Now, the other interesting storyline that's kind of going on is this relationship between max and logan and and you know when she finds out about the conference she goes to logan to see if he can get her credentials and you know this whole idea and she makes several cracks about it that referring to him as her meal ticket and well why else do you think i come here but when she first goes there he's fallen out of his wheelchair and is clearly struggling to get back in it before she enters the room and sees him on the floor. And I guess she just, uh, he just doesn't want her to see him right in yeah. a hel- in a helpless Absolutely. state. And then he's like all like bitchy with her once she gets there because yeah, you know, I think mostly because of the close call of his embarrassment. You know, yeah, yeah, just the frustration I think of not being able to, I, I guess, keep up with Max. You know, so for, certainly from a physical standpoint, she makes a joke about coming around because she needs it, but he's not, like you said, he's not amused. And I'm wondering why the sudden change. And is it, as you kind of alluded to just now, is it simply the falling out of the chair that's put him in that bad mood? Uh, we see him later. He's shopping online. I didn't realize people shopped online in the, in uh, 1999. I guess they did. Um, I just shopped for free music online back then. Or or two thousand, yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, well, other, other, yeah. I mean, I guess when, when did Amazon really come around? You know, yeah, it's, it was a while after that. Yeah. But uh, but while she's there, you know, she mentions to Logan what this is all about, and that Tanaka has been talking about using the body's genetic blueprints, and that it can re-engineer itself. And he and she's implying that it might help his paralysis, but you know, he doesn't really take it very well. And, you know, she feels like she's just trying to help and he gives her like that hand up, just don't. And, you know, end of story, she goes off. So, uh, interesting opening scene. I I think again, one of the things about this show is the opening scenes really cover a lot. Some shows I'm noticing the opening scene or, or segment is only sometimes two minutes long, but they flesh them out a little bit more in, in Dark Angel, which I like. So, Yeah, well, there, there's some shows like like Castle 
the opening sequence in Castle is huge. It lasts forever. They they take like a really really oh sometimes one. eight minutes. Yeah, yeah, and Walking Dead does that a lot as well. They have like this really long extended um, opening sequence. So and I, and I like that. That's cool because by the time the first commercial break comes around, you're actually like into the story. Whereas like the two minute ones, just usually just a throwaway scene. You know, that's not actually always going to be like super relevant to the the story itself. Yeah. All right. Well, back to the uh, genetic engineering conference. So Logan gets Max her journalist credentials uh, so she can attend the conference in the hope that she might find something that's going to help her with her seizures. And, you know, her scientific knowledge, as I mentioned before, is really impressive. Yeah. It was just like, she was just like, wah, 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 wah. And whenever she's talking, I'm like, I didn't understand a word she said. Right. And now, where, I don't know where she got the business suit that she wears to the conference, and she yeah, does a right. Where did that come from? Eh, a quick change with her hair, but uh, like you said, everything's good. It's all and good all the time. She goes, man. she goes right up to Tanaka, and like you said, I I didn't even bother to try to take down word for word what she was saying, but clearly she uh, throws out this theoretical possibility and asks him if he's considered it, and. You know, he listens to her and he and he's kind of taken aback because clearly whatever it was that she posed wasn't absurd. And he says, no, I really didn't think about that. And, you know, maybe we can talk later. Yeah, which is amazing because, you know, like when someone comes up to you like, oh, let me tell you how you can do your job better. You're just like, oh, yes, let me listen to you. Tell me how I can do my job better. Oh, right. And, and you wonder whether not the leader, leading expert in the world in this area as I am. Right. Well, you know, I was wondering whether it's something that she knew from her Manticore days or, or that perhaps she has been able to find out in these, you know, subsequent time, or is it just a matter of something that she's read as she's been studying genetics? Or so, maybe she uh, was just like going like, maybe like Tanaka was hearing wah, 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 <laughs> too, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what? Yeah, whatever. Okay. Just text me, babe. All right. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the the scenes in the conference hall were just I, I just thought really strong. Tanaka speaking to the audience about Jude's progress, and you know, again, it, it's amazing. It, it's been nearly fifteen years since this show aired, and again, I, I bring up Extant because there's a similar scene where uh, the the doctor John is giving his talk on. Uh, you know, robotics essentially, and he's got his android son on stage with him. And obviously he's like, you know, holding up his hands and waving these computer screens that are seemingly in the, in midair. So in terms of technology, it's far advanced, but it doesn't take anything away from this scene. You know, he's got the visuals and it causes Max again, to flash back to Manticore. Right. You know? Yeah. With the, uh, the underwater, right. And everything. Yes. And, and, you know, and he's talking about that there are no limits to what the human body can achieve. And he mentions through surgical, pharmacological and genetic enhancements. And she's transfixed. And like you said, she trans, she flashes back to that training exercise. Yeah. And you know, the, obviously the, the weak kid who can't stay underwater for four minutes. It's disappointment. Washout. Well, you know, and, and and they've got the 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 ankles clamped there, yeah. and and you know, at, you know, Lydecker's there with the stopwatch, and and he points to the guy, go ahead and release him, and he he also says that 
the mind can conceive, the body can achieve, right? Yeah, my football and, coach used to say that all the time. Yeah, and you know, she also wonders why they never turned on Lidecker since they were physically and mentally superior, but then she acknowledges how they were really afraid of him. And I, I guess as children, that's understandable, but I, I guess in retrospect, what really were they afraid of? Yeah, well, we see this every day, right? We Every day we walk into a, a room full of teenagers who, like, there's way more of them than there are of me, but somehow like they listen to me and do what I tell them to do. And that still kind of amazes me every now and then when I stop to think about it. Yeah, well, I've got one class that doesn't, but uh, the rest <laughs> well, of them you are gotta, You cool. got to get in the line, Vit. Come on, man. You uh, got to tape you. up, get, get their ankles to, and uh, you know, attach them to the bottom of a big tank of water for four minutes. That'll straighten them out. Yeah, I got to go back to the electroneural shock, but uh, I digress. <laughs> uh, now, I, again, maybe the coolest part of this episode, who else is attending this conference? Donald Lidecker. Right. And he introduces himself. Did we know his name he, was Donald, by the way? I don't I don't think okay. we did, but and he he clearly does not recognize Max. Obviously not, yeah. Right. While she recognizes him. Right. And and yet you see her body language, she's still afraid she's of the him. little kid. It's the little yep. kid all over again. And then she flashes back to that classroom scene and you know, again again, straight straight out of a conditioning situation she's in big block letters know your enemy right. yeah that was Decep- that was really cool how they did that deception is a weapon surprise a tactical advantage and what ends up happening is she uses all that in her situation with Lidecker and ends up besting him again in yeah. this situation and saving him yeah, yeah. Well, that's another question we'll have to try to to tackle as we go on. Now, she deliberately overcomes her fear and sits next to Lidecker and then in fact starts asking him about his genetic background. I don't know about you, but I was a little surprised how he answered okay, her. Okay, so here this is this is just awkward, right? All right, so you you're at a conference and you sit down next to someone or they sit down next to you whatever and you're like that single serving friend, right? Like you meet a person for a little bit, bam, bam, bam. So the talk or whatever reconvenes and you're sitting in the hall and the seats are nowhere near all filled and the same girl comes and sits right next to you. Okay. You're thinking two things right now, right? One, oh, yeah. either this is awkward or two, you're like brown chicken, brown cow, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like I was just, when she said that, I said like, dang, but uh, but I think you got the right of it is that it's her, you know, meeting her fears head on. Yeah, but but I'm surprised because he basically tells her the truth. I mean, to a point. I mean, he tells her that he's the children he works with, while exceptional and gifted, are also flawed. That he guides them as best he can, but provides a framework in which they can flourish. And all of that's true. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, he to an he, extent. He really like kind of doesn't. He obviously doesn't say, well, we've genetically engineered all these kids and we teach them to be. Well, yeah, he leaves out that part. Right. He leaves out that part. If you, if we didn't know what Lidecker was doing, we would think that, okay, this is on the up and up. And this is like this really kind of neat program that he does. He works with kids. Oh, isn't he a nice guy? And honestly, he does come across as being much more sympathetic for a while, at least. You know, in this episode, we start to see him not as this. I mean, he's been this ruthless individual, 
you know, charging into every place, killing people, just bowling over anything that gets in his way. And now he's a guy who just maybe seems like what he's about is really helping these kids out. Now we, we I mean, like as he's saying this, I'm like, no, you're not helping these kids out, dude. You're you're creating super soldiers. You're creating killers. But uh, from the outside, and we see. Had we not known Lidecker, we would probably go for this and think that he was this like kind of charming individual. Well, yeah, and and I think the thing that's certainly ironic about this is that both he and Max are there for the same reason, in that he he kind of implies that he's attending the conference because the children he's working with are flawed and that perhaps he can learn something that's going to help them. And then obviously that's the same reason Max is there. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Yeah, we don't learn that really till the end, but. Uh, but yeah, they're they're there for exactly the same reason, which is wild. Yeah. Right now, we we learn about Tanaka's recombinant technology, which is apparently groundbreaking for the time. And and Lidecker asks Max if they've ever met before. You seem awfully familiar. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and and you know, on the one hand, you could perceive this as kind of cheesy writing, but I don't I don't think it was. I really liked how they did it. Uh, you know, she uses that line later. Uh, yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, it, it, uh, it definitely bordered on the cheese, and it could easily have gone into maudlin territory. But I think they did, like I said, they did a really good job of making Lidecker look almost paternal, right? Like, we, right. all of a sudden, like, I'm seeing a different side of Lidecker up until the point where he just totally shoots the guy, right? Right. And, and at this point, you know, we really don't, know where the episode is going. I mean, I think we certainly figure it's going to have something to do with Lydecker and Max coming face to face, him finally recognizing who she is, but that's really not happen- happening. And, you know, before, the, you know, the big change in the plot happens, Tanaka needs an audience member to stand and he picks out Lydecker because he's wearing glasses and goes on to explain that, you know, a snip here, a patch here in your DNA could eliminate your uh, vision issues. And, you know, while this is happening, you know, we, we see that Max has this bond with the boy developing just you know, even from afar. But before anything else can happen, the anti-genetic engineering terrorist group, May 22nd, which happens to be the birthday of the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Yep. And led by John Darius breaks into the conference holding the audience hostage. And, you know, it it was really interesting to see how Max just acquiesced to the terrorist commands. I mean, I kept thinking now, now granted, maybe she, since she knew Lydecker was there, she didn't want to give away her ninja skills. Right. You know, and, and bring any attention to herself, which clearly, but I guess also her training is telling her to just lay low you know, figure out what's going to happen, and and obviously she did have a plan, right? And that's basic, I think, is to you know don't make any sudden moves, uh, get an idea of what's going on, and then work from there, which is exactly what she does. And also, I, I mean, I think both of what you said are, are reasons why she doesn't act. You know, like in the one to assess the situation uh, coolly and calmly, and also the fact that yeah, to not reveal herself in front, especially in front of Lidecker, but also the other civilians there. Right now, chivalry is not dead. The terrorists take over. What does Lidecker do with his gun? Uh, he gives, gives it, it to Kendra. Kendra. Right. <laughs> They're not going to search right. you. Well, with the clothes uh, she was wearing, I'd, I'd have to agree with him. Yeah, I guess so. But but they want to free the boy. 
give him a normal childhood and, and like you you know you use the term lab rat already and that's certainly what uh, John Darius uses Logan sees it on the news and and you know makes his way down to uh, the hotel and you already mentioned the scene where uh, they start saying that that they're going to kill one hostage every hour that the demands aren't met and your first hour's already up it's like wow that went fast yeah, like but I'm like, seriously, dude, like, hello, cliche, like, come on, man, you've just taken over a hotel to free a kid. You could at least come up with some, like, original demands. Like, maybe, like, yeah. how about every 43 minutes? You know, just, just shake it up a little bit. Well, how about every 66 minutes? Oh, nice. Little Doctor okay. Who. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that up to the uh, listeners right. to figure well, out that yeah. one. Um, but... While that's happening, Lydecker asks for his gun back. And did you notice how he got it back? Uh, oh yeah, that, because like uh, Ken, Kendrick gave it to Max, right? And Max is just like, I don't, I don't want this thing. Yeah, you just see, and we've already been down that road before, and we know why she doesn't do guns. But just even ha- touching the gun, yeah. you know, passing it from Kendra to Lydecker really caused her some emotional distress. So that was pretty interesting as yeah, well. That, that, yeah, because. We never saw her actually hold a gun, and you're right. Like distress is a great word for it. I mean, she was freaking out that she was holding this gun. Now Logan, you know, r- realizes that he's interviewed John Darius in the past. That he feels like, look, you guys can't accomplish anything. At least give me a chance. And we, and we certainly learn that the military, which has taken over this operation, the hostages are not really that big a concern of theirs. If they get out alive, great. If they don't, that's yeah. okay, but we're not giving in to terrorists. And I don't want to say that's totally surprising. I don't know that that would be totally surprising even today. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, the way the world's going. So it's interesting that this was, you know, the attitude in, in a 1999-2000 television show. Yeah, and this is still before, you know, 9-11, too. You know? Yeah, But sure. the guy says, you know, they're expendable. We're going to show these yep. idiots who's in charge. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's totally like go in, like who cares about loss of life, which they're there to, to prevent loss of life. Right. Yeah. 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 Now Jude turns out to be thirsty. Uh, Kendra takes him for a drink and Lidecker makes that comment. That's almost offhanded. I don't want to say a throwaway, but he's a good little soldier. And Max replies, he's a scared little kid obviously a reference to her own life right. and uh you know then max it's almost as if she's starting to bait lydecker about what he teaches his kids and then he comes back you know do you think miss glasser that your life before the pulse prepared you for your life today uh hello yeah <laughs> yeah a little bit right <laughs> yeah and, and, you know, we can't pretend the world runs on love and and to a certain extent you know he even says that thing about the pulse may have been the best thing that happened to people because it, it woke them up yeah. and it forced them to really rely on themselves. Yeah, it it had, uh, the pulse had positive aspects. It toughened the world and strengthened the species. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, well, sketch made it through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the, the, the women hostages and children get released thanks to Logan. Yeah. And except for uh, know, Jude. Except, right. Except for Jude. Like we want to help um, this kid. But we're not going to free him. All right. Now, the military begins picking off the terrorists, and Darius realizes what's going on, so he sends Logan 
up to the roof. You're going to be sacrifice number two. Look, I mean, obviously we know Logan is not going to die. Right. But still, you know, and we we do see Max preparing and we realize, okay, we kind of see what's going to happen. But still, that doesn't take any of the, the suspense away as he's thrown over the edge and then she jumps off with her bungee cord or whatever that thing yeah, is. And defies Galileo right to his face. Yes, absolutely. You know, like, I love that one. Like, you know, like the person falls off a, a it happens to like Spider Man a couple of times, you know, like the or bat actually Batman happened. Uh you know, like the one person goes off the roof and the other person dives after him and catches up to him. It's like, all right, listen, I'm not a physicist, but what I do remember about, and maybe those who are better knowledge might say, well, Wayne, actually that could happen. But it seems to me that that goes exactly against like the, you know, the law of like falling objects and stuff. Obviously, as you mentioned, the jam pony riders provide a lot of the comic relief in this show. No question. This is one of those few times we've really seen logan and max in this kind of situation right uh the bungee cord runs out of uh cord they go crashing into the hotel room that that happens to be you know whatever floor they're on and they land right on the bed together they're still tied together facing each other close quarters and then they start bickering like an old married couple yeah, yeah. but that was nice they land on the bed uh, yeah absolutely totally and like, then you know. Yeah, and and so then, you know, obviously she frees herself and she takes out the remaining terrorists and rescues the boy. And and even when she's fighting the terrorists, she sets it up so that they shoot each other. Right. So she's still not using a gun. Yeah, yeah, that was was hardcore. She ends up sneaking out with Jude. Lydecker has now, you know, now all of a sudden he's in telling the military what to do. Right. Uh, You know, flashing his badge, which I guess. uh, Right, flash a badge. Right, is sort of like the uh, the doctor's right. magic the, the, paper. I was about I to say, it's just like the psychic paper for the doctor, right? Look, yeah. I'm in charge here. Okay, I'm going to shoot this yeah. guy. All right, dude, cool. <laughs> right. And, you know, again, even though she and Logan have been, you know, I don't want to say fighting, but, but obviously there's some tension in their relationship. She knows that he's going to do the right thing. So we assume he's going to find a good home to send Jude to, and, you know, we hope all is well unless your uh, theory about what all this uh, where all this came from turns out to yeah, be true yeah it could be but at least Lydecker didn't get his hands on Jude that's like the one takeaway we got from this right? yeah um, because obviously you know if he gets his hands on the kid then you know the kid definitely becomes a uh, you know a guinea pig and, and not with any of the, the warm fuzzy sentiments of Dr. Tanaka yeah. Now, I really like, you know, the, the show, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, the, the, it's really moving in the right direction. And, and it's it's moving at, a I think, a, a quick enough pace to keep everybody interesting. It's throwing us some some new storylines. And, you know, in the final scene at Logan's place, you know, he's online shopping for a new wheelchair when Max comes in and thanks her for saving him. Just looking out for my meal ticket, which, you know, dude, that just that was mean. Stop. Uh, she needs this playful banter i saw that uh, you know but but i think she knows that he's he's feeling self-conscious about the fact that he is in the wheelchair and that that like i said physically 
he just can't keep up with her, and 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 she needs to realize that. But, but I think she also knows, like, because they mentioned something about like the the gene therapy before that she was like, well, this can help you. He was just like, rah, 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 rah. you know. So like the point is, like, she's. I think a lot of it is get off your ass, dude. Like you know, freaking because we saw him, you know, trying to walk again and going through therapy. So like, I think part of it's just like, come on, dude. Like you want to walk? Let's get going. Like start working on yeah. it. Yeah, good point. Well, and the, finally, she tells Logan that Lydecker had said all the children are flawed. And, and it's like she's got this impression that he's talking about maybe something worse than the seizures. So it's almost as if she's now going to be frightened that there's going to be something else that she's got to deal with. So is this going to really step up her pace to find out really what's going on and and is the the showdown with Lydecker I think is going to occur sooner rather than later. Mm, I'm not so sure about that, but we'll see. Okay. And as she says, my own private antichrist <laughs> up close and personal. All right. Now, you mentioned the the question of the episode, why does Max save Lydecker when he's about to get a bullet to the head? Yeah. You know, right. I mean, is it is it simply because of what he knows about her and that if he's killed that this information's be lost going to be lost, but that would kind of imply that nobody else knows what's going on with these children, which I find very hard right. to believe. And that's what she told Logan, but I'm not buying it. You know, I think at her core, she is a person who, as she said, I couldn't let it happen. I have no idea why. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, inside her, there's that, that really that core of goodness inside of her that despite the fact that this man is hateful to me, this man took away my childhood. He made me into this thing, but yet I still can't sit back and just watch him get whacked. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't let someone die. Despite, I'm not even saying innocent. Just not, I can't let another human being get killed when I had the power to stop it. Yeah. No, I think you're probably right. And it'll be interesting to see. But like we said at the beginning, just awesome episode. I mean, they're, they're, I think they are getting better as they go along. Oh, yeah. And uh, this one, this one's, I think, probably uh, outside of the pilot, my, my favorite one. You know, it, it, again, like how do I how do I tell it's a good episode when you get to the end and you're surprised it's over, yeah. You know, and the time has gone that quickly, and uh, and also I like that your big regret out of all this is that she never got those towels. <laughs> good point. <laughs> so maybe the beginning of next episode she'll go and uh, Logan will hand her a box and it'll be a a new set. I, mean, of I feel like with her skill set, like she could probably get towels. Basically, pretty much, the more we see her in action, we're like, you can just pretty much do whatever you want. Really? like, Well, you know, and I think that's a that's a pretty good observation because, like, you know, look, last episode, she broke into the impound lot. She cracked the safe. She took the money. Like you said, come on. So so why? And, and I guess that's probably, you know, an ethical struggle that she faces daily that she really can do whatever she wants. Right. All right. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there about this one? No, I think that's about it. It's all good all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. If you'd like to send some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Emails to fatalistpodcast at gmail.com. 
voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the Fatalist website. We will be back next week to talk about Dark Angel Episode 8, titled Cold Comfort. But until next time. Yeah, Dave, I've actually kind of been getting some offers to join like other podcasts and stuff. But you know what? I'm just looking out for my meal ticket. I mean, how many guys can cook and save the world? <laughs>